Cancer is an extremely important topic to me, and it's something I've researched in depth a whole, whole lot with my son's journey. And one of those that I have followed for years is gonna be Zara. She is a uh, functional alternative kind of health practitioner. She has a wonderful package of knowledge that crosses a lot of different disciplines, and she is very, very well thought of. This is something I really wish that I would have had early on in our journey, and I really hope it adds value uh, to you if you or anybody you know has ever been diagnosed with cancer. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a blue zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. Hi, Zara. I'm really, really glad that we are able to do this. Uh, I've been following your work for years now, I guess, since uh, probably early 2020, maybe late 19, uh, when my little boy was diagnosed with cancer. It just led me down a, a journey of uh, discovery that I think that uh, you understand all too well. And so uh, if you if you don't care, just give uh, give me a little uh, intro on uh, what you do now and, and how, how you got there. Um, okay, so what I do now is I primarily, I have my own private practice and I work um, helping people who have health issues. I do consulting and coaching and help them create uh, a healing journey for themselves that works for what it is that they are trying to achieve. Um, primarily, I would say that the majority of the people that I work with have cancer. But that's not all. I mean, I work with people with Lyme disease and autoimmune issues and gut issues and all kinds of stuff. But it's just kind of grown organically over the years. Uh, really, ever since I had cancer, I started receiving a lot more people coming into my practice seeking help with that. Um, before all of that, before my private practice, which I've had for a long time, but it was really kind of part time up until maybe the last like five, six or so years. Uh, I, I have background in various fields in the holistic realm of healing. So traditional Chinese medicine, herbalism, nutrition, neurofeedback, holistic detoxification. And so I've worked in a lot of various realms as far as like clinical practice, working in wellness centers, retreat centers, in various ways of, of working more um, out in the public. And yeah, and then I just kind of transitioned because I found that I could actually work better, more one-on-one -on -one and, and do things in a little bit more broad spectrum way and, and reach more people actually by working privately, which a lot of people didn't understand. They thought I'd be able to reach more people private or in clinics and things like that. But actually, I feel like I have more reach um, in my private practice. So, yeah. 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 Because everything is, is mostly online uh, that you're able to, I mean, work with anybody anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I work all over the world. Um, I mean, I work from home <laughs> and my office is in my home, but I, I work with people all over the world, like Dubai, India, China, 
Europe, Mexico, I mean, all over the place. And so um, that's the beauty of Zoom. And uh, I think that the the pandemic and during COVID and all that, it really helped people realize that we can connect better there. And, and so I was able to work through all of that where many of us were working from home. <laughs> yeah, it definitely brought in a lot of things. <laughs> good, good, bad, and different. They, uh, COVID changed the world. So what, what I would like to start with is uh, kind of focus on that cancer topic, right? And then, so what what do you believe is kind of that fundamental cause of cancer? Do you, do you have? That's a question I get asked a lot. Um, I would say that my, and, and so it's, I can answer it in a very simple way, and that could also be expanded in a very complex way, which is, I believe that most cases of cancer nowadays, what we're dealing with are environmental causes, meaning that there are influences outside of the self from the environment, um, where we live, what we encounter, what we do on a regular basis that are creating changes within the body that leave us with a propensity for various diseases, including cancer. So that could be pollution, it could be the accumulation of heavy metals, it could be the use of pesticides and fungicides and those things on our food and in our environment. I mean, I could go on and on. It could be many, many, many factors, including stress. Um, and, and so very few cases of cancer, less than 5% are actually genetic. So that means it's, it's lifestyle, environmental, or something that's not inherent within our DNA or within our genes. And so my sense is we're just living in a world with, with a lot of, um, challenges, a lot of, a lot of toxicity, a lot of pathogens, a lot of pollution. And I, I don't mean to make it sound really bad. It's just a reality. And there's a lot of really good things too. But that is a reality. And so when we get an accumulation of all those things happening in our system without removing them or understanding how to, how to change things, it can derange our cells. It can create mutations and changes within our bodies that leave us kind of like with weak links where our immune system isn't functioning at its highest. So things like cancer can develop. And so that's, that's my take on it. And so it's not like one thing. There's a lot of things, you know, yeah. one person, they could have had chemical exposure for somebody else. It could have been years of some kind of medication that was changing things in their body for another person. It could have been stress or somebody It could have been all those things and something else, you know? Absolutely. I, that, I think that I agree wholeheartedly with that. And it very much parallels or supports. Uh, we, we recently talked with uh, Dr. Thomas Seafried on the uh, metabolic approach to cancer. And I mean, he's almost verbatim uh, what you said. And so on on that, one of the things that Dr. Seafried has said is, uh, you know, cancer can't survive without glucose and the amino acid glutamine. Glutamine. And so does that... Um, does that play into into how you recommend or how you work with people on uh, over overcoming uh, disease? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So understanding, I mean, that's that's something I try to teach the people I work with. Is it's really important to have the knowledge and understanding of how does not only cancer develop, but how does it how does it live? Because it's a very um, tenacious organism, so to speak. It, it wants to survive, and it'll do many, many strange things to try and survive, unlike other, other cells in our body. And so, yes, there are these metabolic pathways, and there are different, what I would say, food or fuel sources for cancer cells that are different than the normal healthy cells. Now, normal healthy cells also rely on glucose. 
glucose is important to us, but glucose becomes something very different for cancer cells. And then yes, glutamine, I would say glucose and glutamine are the primary food sources, but cancer also loves iron. Cancer will also eat its own dead cells. So as you're killing, if you're using things to kill cancer in the body, you also gotta include something that's gonna remove dead cells because cancer will use those as food and fuel. Like I said, it's very tenacious, opportunistic type of organism. And, and beyond that, then there's other things like say for somebody who has um, prostate cancer or an estrogen driven breast cancer, then the hormones become a factor, you know, and in some cases there are viral factors that are playing into that. Like there are certain cancers that are driven by say the HPV virus or the Epstein-Barr virus. Um, I, I have dealt with Epstein-Barr virus and I believe it was a driver, one of the drivers in the cancer that I had. And so, you know, there are all these certain factors and that's where I do like to meet with people privately because then I can tailor things and give them recommendations that are really specific to their own individual situation. Incredible. I think that uh, with with understanding that metabolic and toxicity component, or I mean, even deficiencies is, is very important. And, and you bring a great point with the, the hormones. With uh, some of the relatively recent studies coming out, uh, I wanna say it was maybe 2021 out of Israel with a uh, biopsy of every cancer had fungus in it. It was uh, just kind of eye-opening with that and you are very well versed in a realm of a, a fungicide in uh, fenbendazole but that's not that's not all that it does so I definitely want to get your take which I I would I guess uh, have to say that Joe Tippins is kind of the one that made that something that a lot of people in the alternative world have heard about but you and, and that group have really kind of refined that protocol to where I, I mean it, it may be even more effective. Oh, yeah. And I don't say this as any disrespect to go to Joe, but it is more effective. And he didn't, you know, bless him. And I'm really grateful that he had good success, but he didn't really know what he was doing. Someone said, you know, here, take this stuff, like take it three days a week. Here's, you know, and he did a little research on some things and he took a couple other things. And he was really blessed to have the, the success that he had because very few people have had success trying to follow exactly what he did. And there is, again, getting into the, the science part of it, you know, using fenbendazole at the dosage that he was using, he actually used a really low dose, super low dose, like the amount that would be recommended for like a five to 10 pound body. And so it was, it was great that he had results. And so we've seen that like by adjusting that dose and using higher doses for the adult human body, we see better results. Yeah. And then the fungus part of it, like I have been saying this for years and years. I mean, going way back before I actually ever learned about fenbendazole is that there is this like symbiotic relationship between fungus and cancer. And I, I've just sensed it inherently. There's not a lot of research on it. And I was so excited actually last year. Um, I can't remember who published the study, but they basically proved it. They showed that cancer likes to collect fungus around itself and it creates this kind of fungal wall, so to speak. And it creates an environment that cancer thrives and also protects it. So when we can include something that breaks through that fungal, fungal wall and kills the fungus, such as fenbendazole, so fenbendazole kills cancer cells, parasites, as well as fungus. And so it can get in there easier. And then we have better results. You know, we see better results with people because sometimes, you know, fungus, fungus and viruses can be playing in the background and kind of hijacking the immune system and creating a lot of problems for success when someone's trying to heal. So if we can include things that address those issues as well, we get better results. 
And just for clarification for anybody else who's listening, is that fenbendazole is actually a, a veterinary drug, a, a dewormer, whereas the human version is uh, membendazole. Yeah. Uh, but there is a pretty uh, substantial little difference between the two, uh, isn't there? Um, there's a difference. The, the, yeah. I mean, fenbendazole was originally created for animals, and I just want to add this in because I, I sometimes forget it, and I just remembered it, and I think it's an important point, is that when they were – Merck is the company that developed fenbendazole originally – um, and when they were in the developmental stage of fenbendazole, one of their researchers actually started taking it and she had brain cancer. She saw something in the research that made her believe that it was a good idea to take it. And, and she ended up healing cancer using fenbendazole. Um, and that was back in like the late 60s or 70s or something like that. And I don't know exactly the diagnosis. The information's kind of vague, but it's, it's out there and I've, I've come across it on a number of occasions. So... Granted, and what I'm trying to say is they've known about the anti-cancer benefits of fenbendazole for a long time, but they classified it as a veterinary medicine for the treatment of parasites. And then mubendazole was classified as the human version of it for parasites. The difference between the two, if you're looking at the molecular structure of fenbendazole and mubendazole, is fenbendazole contains an atom of sulfur. That's the big difference there. And so, I, I mean, they're both useful, and some people in some parts of the world can only access mabendazole, I would tell them by all means, use it if that's all you can get. If you can get fenbendazole, I think it's a little better because of that sulfur that, that tends to have a higher antifungal component to it and also kills some viruses and bacteria in a way that mabendazole doesn't. That's really neat. Some some of the other things that it does, if you don't care to go into that uh, from, you know, even the, angi oh, the anti-angiogenic component, um, and just like there's, there's a lot of compelling... Uh, you know, proof out there that it, it's worth at least considering. Yeah. And I'll just say to that, as far as considering, like we see now, like, um, was it John Hopkins and several other kind of big name medical institutions, you know, that have a lot of respect have been doing research on um, mabendazole and fenbendazole in the treatment of cancer with really good results. They've done studies on prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, et cetera. MD Anderson, which is a really well-known, highly esteemed like cancer center down in Texas, they had a whole like they did a whole study on it, and then they set up a whole program like where they wanted to include it. It got shut down. Um, it's you know there's a lot of politics <laughs> in the medical world, and there's a lot of things behind the scenes that don't always allow things to get you know pushed through. But they were having success, and and that's what these studies out of these other places showed. Um, as far as what does what does fenbendazole do, it, it kills a wide variety of parasites, a very wide variety of parasites. And it also, like I said, it can kill fungus and certain viruses and bacteria. But when it comes to cancer, um, one of the main things that it's doing is it's targeting this part of the cancer cell that is called the microtubulin. And the microtubulin is basically how cancer cells get their food. And so if I, I always describe it like this because I like to try and make um, like parables, para parables and sim simplification of things for people to understand. But if you could think of it like this, like as like a cancer cell has a feeding tube and it's sucking in the food and fuel through that feeding tube, that's kind of like what the microtubulin is. It's how it gets that food and that fuel into the cell. And so what Fenben does is it targets that part of the cancer cell and it paralyzes it. It shuts it down. And so it's causing a starvation of the cancer cells. That's, that's the 
primary thing it's doing, but it also, it will block some of the glucose uptake to the cancer cells. Again, it's primarily a glucose fueled cell. That's its first and favorite food. So it's limiting, again, it's a starvation thing. It's limiting the food and the fuel to the cancer cell by blocking the glucose uptake. It's also been found to kill what's called the cancer stem cells. And cancer stem cells are different than cancer cells. They are, um, as I describe them, the seeds of the cancer. They are the main cause of metastasis. They're the main cause of drug and treatment resistance. So if something's working, as far as treatment goes, it stops working. A lot of times that's what we call treatment resistance, where cancer stem cells have inspired that cancer cell to basically mutate itself and change course and get away from what it was, you know, what, what treatment was working. Um, it also, other than the cancer stem cells, the microtubulin and the glucose factor, it also has been shown to help heal our damaged mitochondria, which is our cellular energy, which is necessary. And I can tell you this, if we didn't have mitochondria, we would, we would not be alive. So aging um, is linked to primarily mitochondrial dysfunction or lack of mitochondria action in our body. And so we need that mitochondria for our immune system, for our energy, for our health, for our longevity, for our life. And so Fenben helps with that. Um, and so those are the main things. And it's also said to induce apoptosis, which is the, the death of cancer cells, like the self-suicide of cancer cells. So it's doing a lot of different things on the cancer front. And it's really fascinating because it doesn't like harm your healthy cells. It doesn't accumulate in your body. Um, it's, it's pretty much, it's got a half-life. It's, it's a bit argued on, on the exact timing. So they say like between three and six hours of a half-life. That means if you stop it within 24 hours, it's cleared. It's out of your system. It's not going to accumulate and it's not going to do damage to your system. It's actually a really, really well tolerated and safe medicine. And there's been a lot of testing on animals even where they've given them ridiculously high amounts that I don't like it when they do these tests, but they do them and we can look at it and we can see, oh, it's got a really big safety margin. You know, it's not killing these animals even at 20, 50 times the amount that is necessary. Wow. In, in some of those studies, uh, are you seeing to where they are uh, using the Finben with traditional treatments and, uh, and what's, what's the effect there? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's been some study with that, not a whole lot. There was a study that, and I, I posted it in our, our big private group um, last year sometime, and it was a while back, but they, they took a group of people, it was a small study, and they all had cancer, they all had the same cancer, I think it was lung cancer, and they were all receiving chemotherapy, and half of them got fenbendazole, and half of them did not. The group that got fenbendazole had far better results, way better outcomes, less side effects, all of that. And so that was one study that we can look at. There was another study that was published like a year or so ago, and it's kind of recirculating lately. I've seen it. Um, I have a copy of it here from Oncology News where they showed um, fenbendazole alongside, um, this isn't as much about conventional treatments, but alongside some basic nutrients that you would find in like a multivitamin shows higher efficacy at, at killing cancer. Um, but we can see, like, if we look at the what's what's happening, like, so, you know, I'm an admin in a big private group with like 75,000 people in there right now. It's grown a lot over the last few years. And we get a lot of people who are curious and interested in starting to use these types of things for the treatment of cancer. Many of them are receiving chemotherapy, immunotherapy, radiation. These are the classic kind of standard of care treatments that are offered. And they're doing all this along with a whole long laundry list of you know, supplements and other things that they're taking, vitamins, herbs, et cetera. And the reality is they're getting so much better results than the people who just stick with only the conventional treatments. 
And so, and we see it time and time again. We get people who were told, you know, you have like a year to live or there's no cure. You're going to be on chemo for life and it's just going to extend your life. These are things, you know, coming out of conventional oncology. And then we have people who, you know, don't take, you know, just their recommendations, but expand that. And they include these alternative protocols and they're, you know, defying what was shown to them as the, you know, the, the prognosis for their future, such as, you know, you only have a year to live. Well, here they are several years later thriving with no cancer in their body, you know, or they're told, you know, there's no cure and we're just going to prolong your life. And they get to what we call no evidence of disease. There's no evidence of any disease in their body. And we see this time and time again at a really incredible rate. And so, you know, that's part of my fascination and dedication to sharing that information with people it's 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 a viable means to help them improve their condition and it's it's helping a lot of people you're you're so you're so right on how many people are successfully applying these things and that that's what i've become incredibly frustrated with that it's 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 kind of poo-pooed on, right? It's like this, it doesn't really matter. Eat whatever you want, do whatever you want. Uh, there's nothing you can do but chemo, radiation, and surgery. And, mm -hmm. and it's just really, really frustrating. Um, now, I am, I, I find it very difficult through our situation to uh, kind of over tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do. So like what Lander, Lander did have uh, chemo, radiation, surgery, 16 rounds. And so we didn't know anything going into it. Uh, and I, I was not very far into, you know, the journey with following your work and, and a lot of others when we did that. And, and I don't know if I would have done anything different, but I do know he went stage four to cancer free in eight months and we changed everything. Right. And we did a lot of stuff, not, not, not everything, uh, but a lot. And so, uh, with that, it's just you kind of look back onto how we started this topic of how did you get, get cancer, right? What what happened? And and Laura, what I what I have found uh, and what I believe is like I think it's my fault. Like he got cancer is because I I did not know and it was my my ignorance on understanding things and not diving in. And so uh, when he was when he was uh, born. He had uh, reflux really bad, so we we were told to give him this special formula, and then rice cereal, and then looking back, and yeah. I had just built a little house where we spray foamed that he was raised in. Um, he, you know, he wasn't breastfed. Had a uh, little little later, he was a little older, but had a vaccine reaction where it uh, shut off the bile production of his liver, and he pooped chalk white. Uh, so we we can just start adding these things up, and now now I know and understand the MTHFR and the the methylation and the lack of being able to detox the heavy metals that I put hit him right through the choices that we did, and then as as he got older, just not having a great diet. So with that, I think I completely the through again ignorance messed up his metabolism right, like so the heavy metals the the just. Lord, he could have been a diabetic for all I know, look, looking back at it now. But with, with that, um, we we did, you know, he was fasting at, at every time he received chemo, right? He was in a fasted stage. So the insulin-potentiated chemotherapy, we, we did all these little bitty things that matter a whole lot. And that's the reason that I want to do these type of interviews is because mm -hmm. if we can share that information and something as simple as get your regular treatment, whatever your, your oncologist says, and apply some stuff, you can have better results. If you want to go another route, you know, that at least there's that awareness too. 
So uh, what what are the very first things that you you would recommend? What's that first step for somebody that receives, you know, a, a life-changing diagnosis? Oh, I think the first thing to do is take a little time and process it and then start to work on. And this is, you know, this I'd say this is more for adults. It's a little more challenging to, to guide young children in this. And I work with a lot of young kids. Um, but we can still teach them the best as best as we can is just really working with the mindset, you know, having a vision of healing and, and understanding that we can heal and just diving as much as that person can into positive stories, positive outcomes, uplifting themselves because it's a hard hit. So that's the first step I'd say, you know, when people ask me what was, cause I, I had cancer, I've been cancer free 15 years and people ask me, well, what'd you do? I want to know what you did. And I say the number one first thing I did was I decided that I was going to heal cancer and I never wavered from that. It, it wasn't like a battle within myself to, to stay on that path. It was just like, I am doing this. I have a reason to live. I have young children. I have my own life. I have my own purpose. I'm going to do this. And, and I just kept it there and then bring in the action of the physical work. Um, you know, and so on the, that, that, I would say that's the mental kind of emotional adjusting that needs to be done. It's one thing, you know, take some time, deal with it, process. It's a shock. Now get yourself up and get focused and keep a positive mindset and do the work you need to do when, you know, once you get through that initial shock. And so beyond that, I'd say the next step is take a look at your home, take a look at everything you put in your body, on your body, and is existing in your home. Clean it up, get every single possible chemical problem out of your home. If you have, you know, bath and body products with a bunch of parabens and phthalates and all the other crap that can be in there, get rid of it. If you're using commercial cleaning products, laundry soaps, you know, whatever, get rid of it, everything, like really do an inventory and change your lifestyle as much as possible. If you're drinking tap water, start purifying it or buy it, buy, buy it purified or something, whatever you got to do to change everything that you can possibly change that could be possibly impacting your health. And then from there, start researching, start researching. You know, you talked about conventional medicine and ways to work through some of those treatments. And, and I teach people that a lot. Sometimes conventional medicine is necessary. I'm not like on either side of that whole argument of like, it, it can only be conventional or it can only be alternative. I'm more in the middle path of like, well, let's at least try to find an integrative path. If you want to go fully holistic, let's look at that. If you want to go fully conventional, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I just don't see the best results without including the alternative holistic side of things. And and do your research and stay informed. Be a student of what's happening to you. You know, like there's so much good information out there, but you got to look for it. You got to be open to it. And once you open those doors, it, it really, it floods in. <laughs> Most people that I'm meeting with, you know, they tell me they're like, I'm becoming like a researcher. I'm becoming practically an expert in this illness. And I'm like, yeah, and it should be. You should know all about it because it's living inside of you. So you, you got to know all about it and you got to know everything that you can do to save your life and, and get better. Beautiful. I agree. Again, I agree. I knew we, I would, but uh, yeah, I love, I love it because it's so actionable. Like that mindset matters a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, just no doubt about it. And then, and then the toxicities and then addressing the deficiencies. When, when we've gone through it, it really has led me to uh, understanding the mitochondria and metabolism. And with based off of you know Dr. Seafried's work, it kind of transitions over to something that y'all have recommended for a while and I 
just now started really appreciating it, and that is melatonin. And so I've even uh, talked to Dr. Russell Ryder, who I would I guess would be the melatonin man. I think he's been studying sixty years. And and Dr. Ryder has a new study. I need I need I will send you that if you haven't seen it. And it is incredible. And it's uh, it's I think six months old, published in July, I believe. And uh, it, it's about metastasis and how melatonin comes in and just really really helps clean up and and just does some phenomenal things. But before you know, let me go back to you. What? Why do y'all recommend melatonin and how do you do it? And help us understand this, what everybody thinks is simply a sleep hormone. Yeah, melatonin is so much more than a sleeping aid. I mean, it can. And usually the best influence on sleep is a low-dose melatonin. Um, I have many, many clients who are using high-dose melatonin for cancer and they don't sleep well on it at all. So, you know, we have to understand it's, it's a lot more. It's an antioxidant. It's connected to you know, our cognitive health, it's been shown as one of the things we can use to prevent cognitive decline, such as Alzheimer's, dementia, etc. It has this ability when used at the right dosage to kill cancer cells. And again, those cancer stem cells that I mentioned earlier, it has the ability to protect our healthy cells against radiation damage. Um, there are so many things. It works on activating what's called the P53 expression. So P53 is a tumor suppressor gene that's also known as the keeper of the genetic code. It has a huge influence on, on our health and, and on our longevity and our ability to heal. And when it comes to cancer, we want that tumor suppression. But unfortunately, about 50% of cancer cases have what's called a TP53 mutation. And so that P53 is just not functioning properly, but melatonin, and there's other things too, Fenben actually helps with this some, um, and so does food-grade iodine, that help with activating this P53, even if it's mutated. So it's doing a lot of things. There is a doctor that I really, really love his work. His name is Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He's out of Europe, and um, he's he's an MD who also very much leans on the holistic alternative side of things. Now, he his history isn't cancer. His history is mostly, his. he's been well-known for dealing with issues of Lyme disease, autoimmune disorders, and um, autism. He has been using very high doses of melatonin as of recently, like within the last few years, and seeing these autistic children go from nonverbal to verbal. And so I think it's opening the door, all this new research, all this stuff coming in to show us that melatonin isn't just a sleeping aid. It's actually a really, really beneficial and crucial thing that can help us with so many issues. And during COVID, I'll say that Dr. Dieter Klinghart was also publishing his recommendations of protocols to protect and treat COVID, which included um, using melatonin as, as a preventative, like taking at least 20 milligrams of melatonin every day. And he did this whole charting and showed how it affects the respiratory system and it's fascinating yeah and so melatonin i think is an important important thing for a lot of us regardless of cancer but if you have cancer it can make a huge huge difference doris lowe dr doris lowe is another one who's published a lot of research on this and so like if we look at the reardon clinic um reardon clinic up in kansas where dr schallenberger used to work and he's published a lot as well you know they have been recommending at least 300 milligrams of that melatonin taken in divided doses for the anti-cancer benefits Dr. Doris Lowe is publishing that she's seeing even better results when people use a thousand milligrams and up. And that's what Dr. Dietrich Klinghart was publishing too, is, is he was using around a thousand milligrams with these kids and seeing dramatic results, you know, using it. And so it's a very safe thing. I think that, you know, we just have to rethink it and, and look at some of these studies to understand it and know that it's not just your simple over-the-counter, 
you know, remedy for insomnia or sleep problems. It's a, it's such a big deal. Um, yeah, Doris Lowe, she's also kind of gone down that the whole redox and vitamin C. Uh, I've got a hard time wrapping my head around <laughs> that one, uh, but I th we're getting there. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, something else I'm curious your your take on, and I don't know that I've seen you speak to it much, uh, is is the cannabinoids. Uh, mm -hmm. how, how does cannabis play in, or does it, with how you, you view cancer and... Uh, Trying to trying to find that common ground on is there a metabolic connection? Um, there is definitely a lot of anti-cancer benefits with the various cannabis um, medicines, and so there's different different ones. And I will say this is definitely not my expertise, but I know enough to speak on it, and I talk about it a lot with people. And I usually recommend they go talk to some people that I know that are that are more ex that that this is more their expertise. Um, but in general, so we have, you know, these two different, just to simplify it, the male and the female, the hemp plant and the marijuana plant. So from the hemp plant, there's a whole bunch of things. The most popular one is CBD. Most people have heard of CBD. It went through a lot of different, you know, legislation over the years. It's now federally legal. You can buy it online. You can travel with it, et cetera, at least in the United States and a lot of other countries. And so if we look at CBD and another one that I really like that there's been more research coming out on is CBG. And then there's also CBN. These, I'd say, were the most kind of popular ones from the hemp plant, and they each do something different. But they are known, like CBD and CBG prevent angiogenesis, where tumors kind of grow new, you know, blood vessels, et cetera, and they expand themselves to, to grow outwards and create new networks. And so it's known to help preventing angiogenesis. And um, they both actually, I, I often recommend C, a CBD-CBG formula because they can help regenerate bones. And so when cancer's in the bones, it can cause crumbling and weakness in the bones. And so we don't want that to happen. A lot of people end up with like metal rods and hip replacements and things like that if it gets bad. So CBD and CBG can actually help with regenerating bone growth. And they're very, very good at that. Um, CBG also kills cancer stem cells. They have a great benefit for like the nervous system, brain health, heart health, all kinds of stuff, um, anti-inflammatory benefits, et cetera. And then if we look at the marijuana plant, the female plant of the cannabis family, um, there are all, you know, the THC is what we're looking at mostly. And there's all these strains and there's various realms of, you know, various degrees of THC content within things. But the main, you know, so like if we look at THC and marijuana in history, we can see, you know, okay, people have smoked it. They like the psychoactive effects. They like, you know, how they feel when they have it. That's recreation. There's also edibles. A lot of people use edibles as recreation, but a lot of people use edibles as like a means of pain control, appetite, induction, sleep, things like that. And so, but these aren't like smoking it and using those edibles. That's not really the anti-cancer medicine. They have some, um, I think, benefits for symptoms that people might be going through. Whereas the actual medicine is known as FICO, full extract cannabis oil, and very commonly called RSO, Rick Simpson oil. Rick Simpson was a man that used cancer, or I mean, used cannabis to heal himself, and he created this oil and it got popularized and people started calling it Rick Simpson oil. He doesn't like that. He's asked people, he's asked the public to stop calling it RSO, but it's, it's such a like, phenomenon. I don't know how you're going to get people to stop it. But what it really is, is full extract cannabis oil, FICO. And it's very, very strong, powerful stuff. They make it, um, like if you can imagine, this is a syringe. The syringe is full of this black, sticky cannabis kind of 
stuff. It's not a liquid. It's, it's they call it oil, but it's not oil. It's sticky and, and like just the tiniest little dot of it. They talk about using like um, a rice sized piece. And I will say, no, use less. If you're just starting less than a rice sized piece, a tiny little dot, it's powerful. And a person does end up, you know, getting somewhat of a tolerance and more used to it, but it's very powerful at killing cancer cells and cancer stem cells crosses the blood brain barrier. It's shown to be really effective, especially with brain cancers and blood cancers, but I've seen it do great for a lot of cancers, colon, lung, liver, all kinds of stuff. Um, so it, it can be a really, really beneficial thing for sure. Getting around the psychoactive effects for some people is challenging. And so thankfully there is a method of using this, this type of medicine where you can create it into a, make it into a suppository where you'll get the medicine circulating through your system, killing cancer cells, et cetera, but you don't get the psychoactive effects. So that's what I end up usually recommending for a lot of people. I would say that about 75% of the people that I, I meet with and talk to who have tried these medicines, the, the FICO RSO, don't tolerate it enough. So they have to do suppositories because otherwise they're not able to work or drive or parent or whatever it is they do on a regular basis. So they're, they're just not getting the psychoactive, they're, they're not getting high basically right. by being able to utilize the suppository. Right. So if they're, if they, if one of the things that they want or some of the things they want is like the help that it can give to the appetite or for pain relief or sleep, they're not going to get that in a suppository. Um, so some people will take suppositories all throughout the day and then maybe take an oral dosing at night because it helps them sleep. Um, but yeah, in general, it's, if it's not being metabolized through the liver as it is when you take it orally, it won't create that high or the psychoactive effects. One more thing I would like to just kind of briefly hit on that I'm just trying, trying to comprehend is DMSO. Mm. That is something that seems to really pop up a lot in, in the alternative kind of, kind of, kind of our, our area. What can you explain just what that is and how how it's being used? Yeah, DMSO is fascinating, and it, it's I always laugh about it. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know why I laugh about it because I, I think I'm laughing because people get so worked up about it, and I'm like, gosh, it's just such a like really safe, <laughs> not not like dangerous thing. But for some reason, they get really worked up. I think because if they look it up online, it's classified as quote a solvent, and they equate solvent with this really horrible chemical type of thing. Solvent has has different meanings, and I encourage people to look it up. And so it's it's really not a big deal. And so DMSO is a product that is created from pine trees. Um, it it was discovered I don't know a long long time ago for various reasons in the wood pulp industry actually is how they started discovering it, and then later research and introducing it to the medical field. It's very non toxic. It has the ability to eliminate certain heavy metals from the system. It's one of the best pain relievers and in anti-inflammatories, either topical or in, or internally. Um, like I have like DMSO gel and I've had that in my home probably 20 something years. Like my kids grew up understanding that if they had sore muscles, they can put DMSO gel on it. Um, you know, and it works really well for that. It's high in sulfur. So when you ingest it or put it on the body, sometimes it creates kind of a sulfur off-gassing. So some people get a smell to them that's a little strange. Some people it goes away. Some people don't get it. I don't typically get it. Other people do get it. It's common to get it. There are some kind of like remedies to deal with that, to, to reduce that 
sulfur odor if it's happening. Um, and it has some anti-cancer benefits. It's been shown to um, prevent tumor growth and to kill cancer cells and things like that. And it can be used alongside certain things to kind of potentiate their um, strength in the body or their, eff their effectiveness in the body. And also like say with fenbendazole or other things like that, say fenbendazole is not water soluble. So it's typically recommended anything in the benzodol family is recommended that if we're taking it, we need to take it with food and that food needs to have fat in it for it to be fully absorbed. Um, but what a lot of people do is they use pure fenbendazole and they'll mix it with some DMSO and something to drink and they can activate it outside of digestion that way. And it also carries things across the blood brain barriers. So for people who are dealing with, you know, brain cancers, such as like glioblastoma, neuroblastoma, et cetera, there's other ones. Um, we want to make sure that everything's going across the blood brain barrier. So sometimes we have them take things with DMSO to cross the blood brain barrier. There are places in the US and, and throughout the world that give DMSO right alongside IV infusions of various vitamins. Let's say someone's receiving an infusion of curcumin, which comes from the turmeric plant. I'm just using that as an example. There's a lot of IV infusions of vitamins and, and they add DMSO to that IV infusion along with it. It's gonna drive it deeper in the cells. There are places um, in Mexico and Europe, and there's been there used to be places in the U.S. I don't think that any of them are in operation anymore that actually gave chemotherapy with DMSO to drive it deeper into the cells, and so it it amplifies things. If you take it with something, it'll make it more effective, more um, just amplified in the system. So you gotta be careful not to take it with certain things. There's some things we don't want to amplify, you know, like we want to make sure that we have the right dose of certain pharmaceuticals and not get ourselves sick or hurt. But with a lot of things, it, it's a good thing, actually. It, it makes it more effective, you get more out of it, and you don't have to rely on digestion. And the reality is most people have some weaknesses in their digestion, so they're not always getting the full benefits of everything, where DMSO can bypass that. It's kind of like a liposomal, a liposomal formula. It, it's not reliant on digestion or food or things like that. It, it has its own way of activating in the system. It's so cool. It, uh, I can definitely attest to the whole uh, muscle soreness or, you know, like a little tennis elbow or something going on. And then one thing that I've been absolutely fascinated because we are down in the south here in Arkansas and we have mosquitoes everywhere. And a little bit of that on a mosquito bite takes the itch away almost instantly. It's fascinating. You know, I didn't um, know. I never tried that before. <laughs> I, well, I just kind of got tired of itching one day and I had it there and I just rubbed it all over my leg and it was gone. And so I've been yeah. using it for, for a while since. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did want to know from your perspective how you were using it with some of the other, uh, you know, recommendations y'all have. Yeah, and I've seen it. I'll say this. I, I like another thing I really, really love that has many, many uses. And I think it's an important and valuable thing is castor oil. And I've seen the combination of DMSO and castor oil treat many things like hemorrhoids, seborrheic acne, um, all kinds of skin issues and rashes and all kinds of stuff that together they work really, really well because um, they, they can, they're anti-inflammatory. The castor oil has all its own benefits. DMSO has its own benefits. It kind of amplifies the castor oil. But yeah, I, I recommend that mixture for various things for people quite often. Gonna be another rabbit trail. You're you're gonna send me down, isn't it? Uh, I, I've yeah, been the castor oil rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> do it, uh, do it. All right, uh, Zara. Let let us know how how we can contact you on on if you want to learn more, say about fenbendazole or you working with you specifically. Where where can we send people? Um, 
Well, I have my own website. It's pretty simple. It's my name, zarasita.com, Z-A-H-R-A-H-S-I-T-A.com. And through there, you can see the various services that I offer. Um, Mostly, I do consulting and coaching with people. Um, I help develop, you know, various uh, healing plans for them. I, a lot of, like, I usually like to start people with what I call health consultation. It's a pretty in-depth meeting. I create a very um, detailed document that follows up that meeting. And then yet I meet with a lot of people ongoing. And that's what the coaching sessions are for, is ongoing support and help throughout their journey. And then I also offer um, a, a detox, a full body detox program that, for people that really want to do a deep cleanse and go through it's a several week program actually that that goes through cleaning the blood the organs all kinds of stuff you know down to the cellular level and so those are the main things i i offer on my website you can also get a hold of me through my website there's a chat option you know if you need to ask me some questions or something like that or ask about you know various services and then online i run a couple um private facebook groups such as the fenbendazole group which is um fenbendazole cancer support group and it's a big group um, we have a, a great leadership team. I'm not the only person that that is on that leadership team. We have some other people that are also health professionals and also a lot of people who've healed cancer um, by doing alternative and in, in integrative means. And then I run another group that I created several years back called Love Body Detox, which is a group dedicated to holistic living natural healing, alternative healing, um, it's how to create a healthy home. I share a lot of recipes. We talk about supplements, detoxification, all kinds of stuff, like whatever really falls into the realm of holistic health. It's, it's, we talk about it in there. Um, and so those are the main places to find me. Um, I do help run some retreats with a private group of people several times a year. And sometimes I, you know, share that publicly, or if you're really interested, you can always contact me privately to learn more. And so those are, I'd say the main ways to contact me, to find me. That's where I am most of the time. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I've been, I've been a part of the Finbendazole Cancer Support Group for, for years now. And the amount of people that absolutely love you and have worked with you and just vouch for you and trust you is incredible. It is a a lot of people. And so I can't thank you enough for taking the time to help, you know, clarify some things for me and continue to dive in. And I think we probably need to visit again at some point on the whole detox. I think that's that's yeah. worthy of a, uh, you know, a, a, a podcast in itself. So yeah. just thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the work that you do. And I'll continue sending people your way. Well, thank you. And yeah, and thank you for having me. It's uh, these these conversations are important. I think it's important that people know there's a lot of options out there and that they have um, choices, you know, and, and they're they're really not alone. And there's people like us who have been through these journeys, whether it's, you know, you with your child or me and myself or working with other people, you know, just to get that word out there that people know that the, that there are options for them, you know, and I think that's really important. And so thank you for inviting me. It's It's been an honor for sure. Zara really is uh, incredible, a wealth of knowledge and uh, truly, truly loved and appreciated. I know that, uh, I definitely know firsthand that this can be overwhelming, getting so many different recommendations on what you should do or what somebody did and, you know, my family member did this or didn't do that. And it, uh, it's really important to have a support group that is, is vetted, is, has been through it, not just taking random advice from anywhere. And so, you know, going to some of those resources that we mentioned are really important. And what we're going to do is we're going to take 
this interview, break it down. All of the products that we talked about, I'm, I'm very, very familiar with and have used the vast majority of them in different in different ways. Uh, but uh, we're gonna break it down in the Sewing Prosperity Institute. We're gonna show you the, the, the resources, the studies that they go with, and make sure that uh, you're able to make a informed decision. And uh, maybe you take it to your oncologist or, or doctor, and uh, we're gonna give it, we're gonna make it really easy because that is what sowing prosperity is all about. It's not just agriculture, not just uh, building community. It's the personal health. It's the personal optimization that really matters. And overcoming some of these uh, adversities in life is part of that. Thank you for listening to the Sowing Prosperity Podcast. We hope that you have learned something new and that you are inspired to adopt regenerative practices in your community. Remember that by working together, we can create a sustainable and abundant future for ourselves and for future generations.